Okay, we're legit starting. Okay, we're only 10 minutes in this time. Okay, we'll so start from the top. So we're doing better. No, we're doing okay. great. Okay. I, I want to I start with our listeners. Uh, I'm going to start from the top top for us. Sorry, Rochelle. Well, are we going to say what this is first? Uh, recyclables. Thank you for listening. I should do that. You're right. Like, <laughs> thank you for listening to Recyclables, the podcast that takes you along for my journey as I try to be less trashy. Uh, and today is... Uh, a uh, fun episode. I've got a cool story to share with you, kind of a big, a big part of organ history. Before we get in, I want to kind of do, I want us to have three things in the back of our minds as I'm presenting the story. Quick question first. Though. Yeah. So when we're talking cool, is this uh, like the Fonz or like LL insert J? Um, kind of cool where we at? The, the, the kind of cool where I... Uh, the, how cool are secret slaves? How cool is that? Ah. Where is that on the cool? Like cool as in awful. Like cool as in. All right. Before before we get too deep into it, I, I want us <laughs> I want us to have three things in the back of our mind. The first one is uh, the relationship between traditions and cultures. How the things we do shape the people we are. But like. I, I, I tend to think of tradition as the idea that we eat turkey on Thanksgiving and culture being the idea that we have a Thanksgiving holiday, right? Like a day where we're like, oh, we, we founded this nation or whatever is cultural. The things we do on it are tradition, Yeah. if that, if that clarifies. Mm-hmm. And I want us to be thinking also about the distinction, the, the distinction between laws and justice, how they are not always the same thing. How the the code of authority, where like if you break it, the law, the government's like ah shoot stab put you in a box, right? Versus the moral arc towards doing the correct, proper, equitable thing. And in addition to that, I want us to think about whether it's more important to us if we are doing what is right, or if we are doing what is righteous. Like if we're doing what is correct for the circumstances or if what we're doing is correct in a broader term okay okay so to start off this story um we got to go to a weird point in my life we're gonna start off with me uh everything's about patrick it is oh my god about a year and a half ago my great uncle died and to settle his affairs, I had to go to Eugene or Springfield. I can never... They're the same they're city. They're really close. Yeah, they're the same city as far as I care. Like, it's... I don't... I, uh, fun side note, if anyone didn't know this, the Springfield from The Simpsons is based on the Springfield in Eugene, and that's why Shelbyville is so close, because of the Springfield-Eugene rivalry, even though... Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a whole... A lot of that stuff is based, because the dude came from... Uh, Portland or the Pacific Northwest area. So, like, that's why... Well, well, well. Yeah. Um, but while I was at my uncle's, uh, I was just browsing through the newspaper, and they were talking about this place called Deddy Hall. Uh, and University of Oregon has has a hall named Deddy Hall after one of its founders, a guy named Matthew Paul Deddy. And uh, there's a podcast you can listen to. Uh, but OHSU has a podcast. Or, 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 sorry, not OHSU. University of Oregon, is that? Yeah, that's how it works. The Ducks. The Ducks have a podcast. Wah, wah. And they talk about it in their podcast. And one of the things they bring up is that there had been another individual in the past who was super racist. 
and obviously racist. And so they renamed the hall that he was that was named after that person something else. But when Mr. Daddy came up, they they had a conversation with people like the 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 people in charge of renaming and all that, and they were like, "Look, there's a six point criteria." for what we deem as a person too racist to name things after. Six? And unfortunately... You need six? Yeah. And unfortunately, Matthew Daddy just doesn't hit the six. He's just not... Okay. This sounds like the most Portland way to be like, listen, or like Oregon in general. Like, listen, we tried. We tried. We didn't... Okay, we did make these rules. We... Yeah, we did make these rules to make it really hard to remove these historical figures <laughs> that are problematic. But this is all we can do. They sound like the Democrats. I'm just and that's that's that got me interested. I'm like, okay, okay this so is who, bananas. So why? So and, and part of their part of what they said is that he he changed as he got older, and his his opinions moved, and it got how me, far? Yeah. So I got to be curious about Matthew Paul Daddy, and since then I've made it kind of. A project to check in various historical blah blah blah, but I want to start off by reading you some of his wiki. I know I, this isn't a cheap trick. This is to part of recycling yourself is is learning how to read between the lies, right? Mm. And so a good way to do that is is look at things that are popularly consumed, such as a wiki, and look for the stuff where you're like, wait a minute, that's bullshit. That doesn't that doesn't sound right. What's what's going on here? Matthew Paul Deddy, born May 12th, 1824, spoiler alert, dies March 24th, 1893, was a politician and jurist in the Oregon Territory in the state of Oregon of the United States. He served on the Oregon Supreme Court from 1853 to 1859, at which time he was appointed to the newly created Federal Court of the State. He served as United States Judge of the United States District Court of Oregon in Portland as the sole judge until his death in 1893. Um, this part I care less about. Wait, wait, wait. So he was six years at that original post. How many years at the next one? Basically until he died, 1893. So was that like 40 years? Just about, yeah. Gross. Yeah, it's going to... And, 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 uh... um, while in the court, he presided over the trial that led to the United States Supreme Court of Poignier versus Neff concerning personal jurisdiction. I'll get into roughly what that means later. Prior to joining the court, Deddy served legislature of the Oregon Territory, including time served as the council of the uh, as the president of the council. So, so he was the president of the the Oregon Constitutional Convention in 1857. Okay. So he helped write the constitution. And I'm sorry if you were a bit, uh, in charge of writing the constitution of an all white state, you don't get things named after you. Are you reading my notes? No, that's just what I was legitimately <laughs> thinking. Like. Like, how do you come back from that? I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what you can do to fix that. That is what we are here to okay, talk about today. Okay, I'm sorry. Today. I'm just very mad. No, you're, you you are right mad. to be mad because that was that was my reaction, right? Let's, trash that's can a be. that's a good that's a good spot to start because you and I know that, but not everyone else knows that. Oregon's constitution, when it was originally uh, formed, basically any time the territories came into statehood, most of what they did was just copy and paste the national constitution and then make addendums as the area needed like regional specific yeah and stuff like that and well, things that have changed since the original constitution was written and 
in the original Constitution, they had slavery as a provision. Accurate. I know that. All right. And part of the reason they had slavery in there was from the start, the South was threatening to secede. I would love to do an episode about the American Revolution sometime, like like get into the the pat splaining of it, right? <laughs> but the uh, the the long and the short of it is when they're writing the Constitution, the South keeps being like, "Cool, but we have slaves." Like it's gotta it's gotta say we have to have slaves. It's gotta be written down in the laws. And Oof. the Northern people are against it for a variety of reasons that aren't anti-racist. It's mostly economic. Why they're yeah against- they're. It's it's silly how often people attribute the the anti-slavery sentiments of the North to altruistic intentions. Yeah, what what this is going to be a gross in many senses of the word oversimplification, but the real issue with slavery is that it's the minimum wage of its day. Oh God! The least you can pay a person is slavery, right? Yeah. And there's no way to compete with that price. So, when you're in the North, you're against slavery because it's taking jobs away from white people. They're just into slavery with more steps. Yeah. They're, they're fine with slavery if you get a, pe- like, not even a pension, if you get a weekly paycheck. Right. Right? And it creates a racism, it creates a specific kind of white supremacy, middle class racism in um, the North. And in the South, it makes, the, the circumstances are such that the poor white people in the South aren't living conditionally better than slavery. So like their their living conditions where their their housing, their food situation isn't that much better than what slaves are dealing with. The difference is they're not being beaten. They have freedom of mobility. They just don't have anything else. They don't have a way to earn a living. They don't have a way to contribute. And that's where you get this notion of lazy white trash a lot of times, especially in the past, is because people are like, well they, they don't they're not doing anything so, like, they must be lazy, and it's like, well, you, you're you giving all of their... You're not even giving all of their work. You're taking all of their work and Enforcing insisting... Enforcing other people to do yeah. it. Yeah. And so, what ends up happening is... <laughs> famous, famous pedophile and human trafficker, Thomas Jefferson, uh, comes up with this idea for agrarian democracy as he's forming the Constitution and as he's as he becomes president. And the idea is the idea is kind of a little bit what we talked about in the Roman episode, which is you're gonna take a plot of land, farm it, and sustain yourself. You're gonna be like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. But but more importantly, you're gonna be so busy it's a weird political machination thing, because you're gonna be so busy taking care of yourself, you're never gonna band together to fight the people running the republic. Right, So the people mm. like Thomas Jefferson, who own slaves, who do all the work for them, can just sit back and accrue power and wealth while other people are toiling to make ends meet, but like it's an honest living. Like he's, he's, Thomas Jefferson, we'll, I will absolutely do an episode on him in a similar fashion, because he's every kind of an asshole to me. He, he, is, he is Tesla meets Trump in a way that I like... I hate. Tesla or Elon Musk or both? Oh, oh, sorry. Elon Musk and Trump. Sorry. I I, <laughs> I, I fell for the Muskism. 
Well, and I've heard that Tesla's kind of... He, he wasn't the nicest guy either. I don't I, think he was as bad as Edison, but he definitely wasn't that great either. But he, this is all speculation right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about uh, Tesla. That could be a fun one to look at. Edison electrocuted an elephant. Yeah. And I knew that before the Bob's Burgers episode, but it has been cemented in my head since that one. Well, he did it to prove that Tesla's invention was... Dangerous. Sh- yeah. And it's like, his was dangerous too. Yeah, it's... Electricity is dangerous. History is just assholes all the way down. Jefferson sets up the country such that, or, or, or is trying to set up the country as he manipulates things from behind the scene, such that, like, we will continue to expand westward and set up these basically communities of farmers that will occasionally collaborate into cities. Most of what this is, is he thinks how Virginia does it out of all the colonies does it best so he tries to recreate virginia everywhere but it doesn't work that doesn't work that way because one of the problems is americans get their style of farming from europeans and european style of farming doesn't work uh, yeah as well in america like it doesn't work in europe like it barely works in europe like we know this after the fact but and it hardly works here and the problem like i'm i'm not that kind of smart i don't i don't understand it but my understanding is it depletes, the way they do it depletes the all the nutrients from yeah, the Yeah, they don't rotate crops, I'm assuming. And when you don't do crop rotation, you don't do nitrogen fixing. I don't know this stuff for certain, but I remember enough about the three crops that the Native Americans would grow together because they all would work together to keep the soil working. Yeah. And Corn, squash, and beans. We'll, we'll actually talk a little bit about that uh, in, a, in, a, in a little bit. But the, well, and wasn't Virginia pretty tobacco-heavy? That was, that was yeah. the other thing. This Sorry. Is, no, no, you're right. <laughs> this, is, this is another reason why Thomas Jefferson is such an asshole about this, as far as I'm concerned, because he has a tobacco plantation run by slaves operated off of inherited wealth that he's not good at keeping like he (laughs) he dies in debt Uh, spoiler alerts for thomas jefferson but he thinks like he's just high on opium all the time and he's like i'm just the greatest man like oh man but he influences society because he tries to make things part of purchasing part of the louisiana purchase to get the oregon territory is because he wants this agrarian democracy to take root all across the country and he thinks if he gives if there's enough land for people to spread out in it'll work uh and it's not it's not unlike what hitler tries to do with germany years later yeah where i i think that's the term but he tries to make it self-sufficient and that's the whole goal of all of these like nationalist white supremacist jackasses is they're like i want to i want to be self-sufficient in a way that that is ridiculous <laughs> like it it's like the kid who takes all his toys into a corner and is like i don't need any of you and then they have all the toys but everyone's like well cool i have friends right, right. boom roasted nazis <laughs> so to get Try back to come back from that i'm so, sorry <laughs> you're fine so to get back to daddy uh, how, how this affects Deddy is that the society that forms, even in, in the South, it's based on slavery, and in the North, there just aren't a lot of black people in general because they're not being hired, right? That whole, that, that gross oversimplification minimum wage thing means that when you go North, the people that are getting jobs are some form of lowest of the whites. So you're either new immigrants or you're freshly poor. And there are middle, the the thing is, in the 1800s, there's this era of middle class white mobility because it's a lot easier to do, like, like 
Deddy becomes a lawyer. Let me let me read again. Let me jump again to Deddy's Wikipedia. Well, oh, go ahead. No, you just bumped but, right past me. I don't even know what we're doing now. Okay. Well, well, what we're what we're doing is we're the the country he's in has a, a possibility of upward mobility, but at the same time, it's got this notion that you're going to go to a job and and it's going to take all your free time. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, skipping ahead in his Wikipedia, a native of the state of Maryland, his first profession was blacksmith. Uh, oh, actually, here, that's where I wanted. Uh, <laughs> early life. I, I, I missed this section. Matthew Deddy was born in Easton Talbot County, Maryland in 1824. Uh, his parents were Daniel Deddy and the former Mary Ann McSweeney. His father was born in Ireland, so he's he's first generation son of an immigrant. Uh, and married McSweeney uh, in 1823, so he's the oldest, obviously. They, June to June 10th, 1823 is when they get married. He is born May 12th, 1824. So, yeah, right to it. He was the oldest of five children. Uh, and here, here's here's the uh, the the thing I was trying to get to. He began his education at the school where his father was a teacher, remaining at that school until the age of 12. In 1828, the family relocated about 300 miles or so to from Baltimore, Maryland, to Wheeling, Virginia, West, what is now in West Virginia. Uh, the Deddies lived for brief periods in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio, Roney, Missouri, and Covington, Kentucky. His father was employed as a teacher and principal at the Lancaster Academy. His mom died in on May 31st, 1834, while mm-hmm. the family was living in Wheeling. So so after that 300-mile really truck. Yeah. And on Deddy's family was split up with Matthew heading back being sent back to Baltimore for 2 years. And all of this is really common actually. What'll happen is you get married you have as many kids as possible because you don't see kids as people. You see them as property and future servants, and you've got a business to run called a farm. And so you just make as many babies as you can to do as much work. Hopefully they survive. One of the other things I read said that there were, I think, up to nine total siblings, but he's the oldest of five living. Uh-oh. And mom's dying of childbirth is super common in colonial yep. periods. There's... No doctors. White people refuse to have midwives a lot of the time because of fucking. We'll do. We're gonna do an episode about that. You and I've been coordinating. Yeah, I so. mean, women. We didn't really want women to have control of any of the family planning process. And emphasize is also it's it's it's. I didn't know this, but like in some of the research we were doing, the conception of life was from the first breath for a really long time. So if the baby came out and it seemed like it was... Not going to make it? The baby didn't make it. Mm. And so I don't, I, don't, I don't think that went on here necessarily, but that's a thing that happened commonly from what I understand. It's like, oh, the baby's messed up, no baby kind of thing. Because it's easier to be sad than to have a defective product in 18-whatever. Well, I mean, who knows if there was any sort of disability advocacy at all. Oh, so, for like, sure there wasn't, yeah. Yes, it's shitty of parents to do that, but they probably knew, like... There'd be nothing for this child. Yeah. Literally it's, nothing for them. The the past is awful. Like just I just I just think I'd have a really good time if I went back to like, you know, the Renaissance. Oh, it'd be so I mean It'd yeah. be so fun. I'm totally meant to be in that time period. I am those conversations drive me up the 
fucking wall because they, they're almost always white people. And it's always a really it's it's never a time period. It's it's a specific place in a time period. You know what I mean? Like it's it's Renaissance Italy. Yeah. Or oh my god, I the Wild love West it. America. They, like it's like I would have oh. just loved to see like Shakespeare's plays when Shakespeare was doing them. I uh, I did someone else's podcast to to kind of hype up Costume convenience, and we talked about one of my only. One of the conspiracy theories I hold true in my heart is that time travelers are real and that part of it is you're stuck in the past and that's how famous people are formed. Is <laughs> There was no Diocletian. There was a dude who went in the past and wanted to be emperor of Rome and then finds out he's Diocletian. Like He's like, ah, great. Now I, I, I don't get to be Caesar? Damn it! All right, I'll be Diocletian. No, Diocletian. As much as he was shitty, he sounded like he had his shit together. No, he sounded pretty dope. That's why I'm like, he might have been a, a time traveler. Like he went back to fix Rome because, like his, I don't know. <laughs> Another a, a thing a time traveler would have noticed is in colonial America in these early 1800s. Smooth transition, Pat. Is um, breaking up of families after these kind of tragedies is common because it becomes a matter of which kids are. Which kids are being kept because they can offer something, and which family needs kids? Because you'll be sent to, like, and he gets sent to his, right, yeah, his uncle and grandfather and works in a store because... They needed someone to help at the store. Yeah, and dad probably kept, like, the kid that was the needed the least taken care of and kid who could do the second most work kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, skipping ahead again in his Wikipedia, I want to I want to get to getting him to Oregon in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> so, beginning in 1843, Deddy attended Barnesville Academy, continuing his education there until four months that beyond the time. Oh, okay, I, I skipped a part. He takes up a blacksmith apprenticeship a little bit after he moves to uh, uh, Barnesville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. which is hundreds of miles away from everywhere else. So he moves there, he becomes a blacksmith, but in his free time, he's also going to school. Deddy is a consummate reader and writer. We know about a lot of the things he did because his life, his diaries. Oh, so he took, he wrote a diary. Yeah, and, and he would write everything in the diary. Like he would, today was really boring, I drank too much whiskey, the end. Or, or you know, days like that. I don't think did he wrote. Did uh, talk about boning and stuff? I mean, maybe. I haven't, I didn't read I them. I always wonder that about diaries. Like, obviously you're going to be dead, but like, are there things you wouldn't want people to read about that happen in your life? And what do we actively keep out and what do we subconsciously keep out? I've never been a good diary person. Yeah, I'm I've just never, curious. I've never been able to keep one, but we have social media, which is like a community diary where you're like... Oh my God. You treat it like a diary way more than I do. Well, yeah, but I also... Here's the weird part. I don't reveal nearly as much no, as I, I think I do. Half of what I say is like related to an idea I have that's not even about me. Like... It's, I know you well enough to know where it's coming from, but it is really funny. Like, there are certain people who are a lot, a lot more open about their lives on social media, and they go through phases, but moving to Portland has made it kind of impossible, because everyone out here drives me fucking up the wall. Me me too. And we're, we're talking about part of why that is with Mr. Daddy. Sorry. No, I you're... I didn't mean to get off. Do not apologize. You can edit it out. Edit out Rochelle's discomfort with social media in the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to edit out your apology in that part. <laughs> So he is a he is a hard reader, a hard worker, and a consummate reader, and he puts himself through school, and that that was what I wanted to touch on there um, is there's an upward mobility for middle class white people in this time, because schooling isn't so prohibitive, 
like not just cost prohibitive. Well, it isn't prohibitive to white folks. Exactly. And it's not cost prohibitive either. So he can yeah. go to school and get this. He, he trains himself to become a lawyer while he's being a blacksmith. And it's because 1824 is a, the 1820s is a fucking crazy time. Or sorry, the 1830s is a crazy time where blacksmithing is still a thing we need. But we're also becoming a litigious nation that needs lawyers to codify the rules and laws. And he he grows up in an era where it's you you mentioning white people is actually an issue I wanted to touch on because it's not so much an upward mobility as there's a vacuum because America is a new country still. Thomas Jefferson is still around until like eighteen twenty something. Like he he almost he almost sees the Civil War to a certain degree. Like his life is long enough to have encountered some of the early the things that would lead into the Civil War. So so he he when you study the period of the Civil War, Thomas Jefferson is dying at the beginning of that. And his influence is still felt. He's it's the same way we still acknowledge Bush's importance in our day and age mm-hmm. or Clinton's. And at the same time, there's a new nation. So a lot of the roles that are filled in other empires aren't filled yet. You have the upper class dominated exclusively by a handful of really rich white dudes, right? And you have the immediate lower caste, the bottom class in in the form of slavery. But you have this whole range of middle slots that needs to be filled. And part of Jefferson's like agrarian democracy is the poorest are going to be farmers. And the people who are hardworking are going to figure out this middle spot, right? But it, again, it's not its not upward mobility. It's just like filling in a vacuum. Every time you said middle slot, I said middle slut in my head. <laughs> Thomas sorry. Jefferson, big fan of sluts. Also, and I was wondering if there, how many parallels there are between NAFTA and the Louisiana Purchase. That was what I was thinking about. Oh, man. Because as I, soon as you said, like, effects of Bill Clinton, I thought of NAFTA. I'm going to have to, I don't know enough about Clinton's era or the things he did because I was alive for it and a kid. Like, I, I remember the social part, like the Monica Lewinsky part and all that. Oh, I don't, I think it's really fucked that our generation learned, heard all of these conversations about sex acts and we, like, if you were me, you didn't know what the fuck anyone was talking about. Yeah. But you heard all these jokes and all this stuff and you're like, what the f- um. A good way to look at Bill Clinton in terms of, like, policy, very neoliberal. Extremely okay. neoliberal. Yeah, yeah, that's the impression NAFTA is insanely neoliberal. It was all about making product and labor move freely, but no protections for labor. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that, and it's that's kind of what's going on a little bit with the Louisiana Purchase. And it's it, it, it's more that... that there is this thing with white supremacy where you f- there's this thing in America and our white supremacist system where you're forced to feel pressured on both ends all the time and that the only the only escape from that pressure from from you're not going to be as rich as other people and you don't want to be consumed by the poor is that you're going to leave and start a new life and that's a lot of what the Oregon Territory represents. Oregon Trail, baby. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of who was on the Oregon Trail is is not who we think it is, right? Like I grew up with this impression that the Oregon Trail was full of poor people who were who needed a new home and were struggling to find a place that in a land that just didn't have room for them, 
but I've been to the East Coast since then, and there's a lot of open space. <laughs> Right? Like, Kansas is just all open space and bad roads. The difference, though, is that it probably cost more money to buy land there when the government was legitimately paying people to settle out west. That, and that like, was, that's a huge part of the Homesteading Act, is they were paying you to move out and inhabit these areas. Yeah. And I imagine the Oregon Trail was part of that. I know that's a huge part that, of where that is, Montana's that, growth came from. That is part of it. But but the, the issue, the, the two things are, one, that's already somebody else's land. And yes, that's actually obviously. that's actually what we're going to talk about uh, in in our next. Uh, we'll do a little break after I get done with this part because uh, I want to describe. Because what ends up happening is, so the people that are coming are are being motivated by the money, but it's like when West Virginia did something similar, where they're like, "We'll give you." Alaska does something similar, where they're like, "We'll pay you to be here," but they're not going to pay you enough to live there. They're going to pay you enough to motivate you to go there and get that money. Yep. Right, and it's the same thing with the Homesteading Act, with with pe- people on the Oregon Trail and moving west. Here's something I wonder too, really quick. I wonder if because I know that this this was specifically targeted towards white people. So the idea was to fill up the West with white people yes. post world uh, post Civil War, so that black people couldn't create communities out west. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what's going on. God, I hate everything. What what's happening is the people that are motivated in the North are you you actually. We always say it as a north-south divide, but the, the, the reality is that there's three Americas. There's the north, there's the south, and there's the territories as they're pushing west, right? Like, like uh, what is it? Uh, Illinois isn't a state for a while, and that's it, it, when it's first settled. Like, they even, their roadways were all rivers when they were first settled. It's Hell yeah! Like, so we they, have our own Venice. Yeah, and but, but my point in that is that the frontiers aren't following the north-south traditions right like they're not they are fall falling along some of those lines but like you'll you'll get this thing where like it'll be what we would consider like a cowboy ranch but it's all run by slaves and one dude making them like in an overseer or whatever right so you'll get like the idea of a family settling down and they just have everybody doing all the work for them but you go a hundred miles in any direction and you'll have a white family that treats themselves the same way if that like minus the i mean not the same way but but similarly Mm -hmm. let me let me clarify that i don't want to i don't want to negate what people were going through you're not going to talk about irish americans yeah i mean we can i want to do that when we do the revolution episode actually or what i one of the episodes i want to do is about the history of white supremacy and how irish slaves created blacks they didn't create black slaves but the conditions of irish slavery made it easier for whites to accept black enslavement but we'll yeah i want to do a history of white supremacy episode but i i want to it's further down the line the the issue is the the people from the north are motivated to go further west because there's no jobs and they're in the middle class of their they're like a shopkeeper who isn't making a ton of money but they're making up just enough that they can save right mm-hmm. and their thought is i'll go west and be the shopkeeper in oregon instead of one of five shopkeepers in name big city philadelphia boston whatever right and in the south if you're fleeing and you're white it's because either your family has so much accumulated wealth it's creating divides and you want to find a new place to store the wealth not mm-hmm. as common more what's common is people who can't afford slaves 
but have managed to make some amount of money find that they're getting edged out economically more and more by people who do own slaves and and can because slaves in a very real way are capital so the more you have the more just kind of investment and interest you can grow and i felt gross saying that like it's just uh, yeah but the the point is if you're middle class or poor you have some money, but as the South continues in its timeline, they're eating more and more availability of white people resources as well until it's just these handful of oligarchical slave owners. So you're motivated to move out West, right? Yeah. And if you're in the territories, you feel that there's a certain sense of like, we're redoing America, but you're starting to see the the signs of civilization sink in. Cities, instead of being a town, you're starting to get cities. And, and that's to, disgusting. Yeah, and there are people who are like, I don't want none of them near me. I'm moving, right? And so Oregon is filled with all these people who are fleeing this false notion of being cramped in because the pressures are more societal and cultural. And, and really, it's the lack of opportunity is so apparent but the idea, it makes me think of that phase where people are like, we can envision the end of the world, but we can't envision the end of capitalism. People can envision essentially traveling across a continent like, mm -hmm. just, and, and walking, oftentimes walking 2,000 miles. They can envision that more than they can envision any other system than New York City in 1824. Right. And so... Uh, just, to, just to catch us up, Deddy was originally to travel with a government-designated uh, Indian agent. They had people who, part of keeping the tribes at war is you don't let just random white people hang out with the natives because sometimes they will get into wars with the Native Americans. Like, missionaries will show up and be like, we're saving you, and they get killed, and it leads to whole warfare because white people are like, they killed whites, we have to defend our honor, right? Oh, my God. And at the same time, you also have people swindling them when the government's trying to swindle them. So the government sets up designated agents to, for each tribe and stuff. And, and, and it's not handled very well. Like, it's not, it's not very beautiful. I don't believe that. I know. Low, big surprise. Listen. There's some confusion as to how Deddy got here. Either he was supposed to go with an agent and his family and take a trip. Or he was supposed to go with a wagon train west. But either way, he ends up getting separated from this agent and shows up in... Taking the Oregon Trail, he arrived where Portland, Oregon now stands on November 14th of 1849. Um, so when you were saying family, he has his own family with kids? Yes and no. Da -da 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 -da. I mean... He's not married at this time yet. Yeah. I think he marries when he settles in. There was, oh, okay. There was a section on that. Or maybe that's oh, that's one of the other sections. I read just like 49. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he marries on June 24th, 1852. He marries Lucy A. Henderson, whom he would have three children who survived childbirth with. So, again, that thing of like you have maybe five kids, three of them survive. Uh, Lucy came to Oregon in 1846 from Kentucky. The Deddy children were, oh man, these are some names. Edward Nesmith. Nice. Paul Robert. Nice. And Henderson Brook. Henderson studied medicine. Paul and Edward became uh, attorneys like their father. Matthew Goffrey and Mary were uh, born and died at birth. 
Mm. So, so they named him. Again, Irish, so uh, probably pronounced more like a little day. Daddy. Daddy. I don't know. Probably came out more daddy. <laughs> I don't um, know. Those names kind of sound like... Uh, they, they sound like kids I would have watched as a preschool teacher. Cause yeah. The old names came back pretty hard when I was in college. That sounds... Like Adeline's, Aurelia's... Aiden's. Uh, I had a little preschooler. His name was Finnegan. Oh, that's harsh. He was so cute, though. And I had a little boy named Goldmund. Oh, that one's... That one's he was me. so sweet, though. Okay, the toughest kid, Diamond. 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 That's... I, and he had like a little diamond stud earring. Oh, uh, there was there was a interesting video I listened to. I'm, I'm listening to a book called Cast. This won't go in, but I'm listening to a book called Cast, and uh, she talks about how um, black people were weren't allowed to be addressed as sir or ma'am. It was always boy. That's or so love. fucked up. And so and and you could never say hey miss to a black person. So this dude named his daughter Miss. Specifically, so people would always have to be, excuse me, miss, pardon me, miss, if they were going to talk to her. Like, like, just didn't give them the option. Um, so, but, but back to our thing. Daddy, he arrives in 1849 after he's finished his schooling and his apprenticeship. He shows up in Lafayette, Oregon. I don't Lafayette. Uh, kind of center east near Yamhill. Okay. Okay, yeah, so he began a teaching, that's what I was looking for. He began a teaching job in Yamhill uh, and was paid in room and board for the first term, and then after that was paid an additional 75 bucks a month. He makes a big deal in his diary about sending $100 back to somebody in Iowa, which is Aww, a... To, that's a to, good amount of money. Yeah, to pay a debt. So he's so he's he's kind of honorable in that sense, and he arrives in Oregon. while He begins practicing law while he's in Lafayette, Um and he gets famous because somebody has been charged with... I, I read the case. I will simplify it. Somebody gets charged with murder. He's convicted to death, but it's one of those things where the murder ends up being kind of... The, this guy says... People state claims here, right? Like, because that homesteader act. So you get X amount of land. And what people will do a lot of times is they'll be like, this is my land and that's my wife's land. And then hire people, women from other parts of the country to move in and be their wife. And this one dude's like, no, my wife's coming. My wife's coming. My wife's and coming. And my wife never came. And the wife doesn't show up for like three years. And people are like, yeah, your wife's coming. This is my land. And he gets into a fight, ends up killing himself in, killing, killing himself. He kills this guy in self-defense. And then everyone's like, doesn't like him though. He, he's a jerk in addition to being like, this is my wife's land. Uh, mm. And so he gets charged with the murder. And then uh, when the when the trial goes on, like as he's about to be executed, Deddy shows up with a letter that's like, no, this, this, this guy's married. We've been saying it the whole time. His wife just doesn't want to come to Oregon because it's awful. Right. <laughs> Which is a smooth transition. That's a mood right there. Yeah. Uh, and... and it is awful. So he saves the guy and he gains a reputation as a really good lawyer. Uh, and this is, but we're going to take a pause here. Pause here. And when we come back, I'm going to explain the organ that Mr. Deddy shows up into. Oh. All right. All right.